Well, good morning, everyone. Welcome to those of you who are joining us online this morning as well. Today, as we continue to work our way through the book of Matthew, we're centering in on Matthew 5, which is often called the Sermon on the Mount. So if you have a Bible with you and you'd like to follow along, or there are some uh, Bibles in the back of the space as well, you can grab one of those and follow along with us. If you do that, please turn to Matthew 5. But before we get there, we have to back up a little to set the scene. You might know about me in general, I'm really not a big fan of numbers, but the chapter and verse numbers that are added to the scripture are really helpful for us to find the same passages. But I also think sometimes that the numbers can artificially separate things that we are actually meant to connect. For example, before this week, every time I'd look at teaching on the Sermon on the Mount, I just started with Matthew 5 verse 1, because that's where the numbers say this thought starts. (laughs) But in preparing today, I started from the middle of Matthew 4, and it led me to see and more deeply understand that the setting wasn't just one day Jesus noticing a crowd around him decided to teach them something. No, these people are all there because they'd come looking for him. They all wanted to hear what he came to say. And there's a reason Jesus started teaching by saying exactly what he said in Matthew 5. He's introducing for them all just how different this new kingdom is and how different it will be from anything they've known before. Context is so important. It gives us insight into why these words mattered so much to this crowd and why these words of Jesus still matter so much to us as we seek to live as kingdom people today. So I'd like you to imagine yourself in this scene. You're just struggling through your everyday life with your everyday problems and with the weight of everything that you've been dealing with. You think that maybe it'll help if you try and learn a little bit more about God. So you decide to go to the synagogue where people are hearing and discussing scriptures together. And when you get there, you find that there's somebody new visiting your neighborhood synagogue that day. This young man in his 30s gets up and he starts to read from the scriptures about God. And as he speaks, things come alive. You start to feel that God's love, God's presence, isn't just a topic for conversation or stories from the past, but somehow he's here right now, and he's doing something in this young man. Now imagine he's teaching from Ezekiel 34, a passage where God, fed up with human leaders letting his people down, says, I myself will search for my sheep and look after them. I myself will tend to my sheep. I will search for the lost and bring back the strays. I will bind up the injured and strengthen the weak. I will place over them one shepherd, my servant David, and he will tend them and be their shepherd forever. Imagine then this young man sets down the scroll and announces to the room, that's what God is doing right now. The kingdom of God has come near to you. And then before your eyes, he steps into the crowd and reaches out to touch your neighbor who has been struggling with chronic pain as long as you've known him. And in that moment, your neighbor is healed, fully restored to health in front of you, praising God with tears running down his face. And the scripture from Ezekiel still is echoing in your ears, I myself will come and shepherd my people. And you think, what just happened? Who is this? What's going on? Something just messed with my life as usual, and I want to know what it means. 
But then, just as everyone's getting over their shock, you realize that this young man is gone. He's moved on to another town. What would you do? Would you just shrug your shoulders and go back to life as usual? I mean, if you experienced that, wouldn't you go looking for him? Wouldn't you want to hear more? It's no wonder once people experienced Jesus that they went after him, right? So now hear the scripture one more time from Matthew 4, 23 through 25. Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness among the people. News about him spread all over Syria, and people brought to him all who were ill with various diseases, those suffering severe pain, the demon-possessed, those having seizures and the paralyzed, and he healed them. Large crowds from Galilee, the Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and the region across the Jordan followed him. So these are the people who are gathered around Jesus at the beginning of Matthew 5. People who in their own local synagogues had had a taste of hope and excitement and joy, who suddenly became aware that God was doing something and for some reason doing it right here among them. These are people who had seen in Jesus God's power and presence and his love put into action to heal and restore. And they want to know more of what's going on. These are people that Jesus found as he chose to start his ministry first in the places where people were already gathered because they wanted to know the Lord. Jesus starts his ministry with those whose hearts are already longing to know the living God because he is the fulfillment of God's promise. And those who are seeking it come running. So now that you know who's in these crowds... We can get into chapter 5, verse 1. Now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him and he began to teach them. So I'll pause there for a moment. Two things to notice there. First, Jesus is teaching his disciples. Everybody else is just auditing this class. <laughs> He's not assuming they're all committed. He knows what they actually are is curious. So this is New Kingdom 101. And second thing to notice, the author of this gospel, Matthew, makes a point of telling us the setting. He went up on a mountainside and sat down. Now, if you've ever been to the Holy Land or just like me, know people who have, the truth is mountainside is a bit of an exaggeration here. Hillside is more of what we'd call it. But remember, Matthew is writing to a Jewish audience. And so his choice of words is very intentional because they're meant to remind us of another mountain. It was at Mount Sinai that God gave Moses the law to begin a covenant of relationship with his people. And the law laid out that we are to have one God honored in our words and deeds who we worship faithfully. And we are to be people who, honoring family, don't steal, kill, cheat, lie, envy, or plot against others in our hearts or our actions. And the law came with the understanding, if you will do these things, you will be blessed. Live in this way, so it may go well with you. You will be my people. I will be your God. Do these things, and you will be blessed. And of course, they tried for a while, and we try. We do. 
But who are we kidding? Moses was barely off the mountain when he ended up breaking those tablets in a fit of rage, having already found the people throwing an idolatry party around a golden calf. And as Pastor Darren reminded us last week, the result of that was that the wilderness school was extended another 40 years. Talk about a long detention. <laughs> anyway, so the symbolic shorthand for the Jewish audience is teaching from God on a mountain equals how to be God's people equals what do we have to do to be blessed. Except this time, when the Son of God comes, and he sits on the mountain to bring the teaching of the new covenant of relationship with God. What he sees around him are not people in rebellion. What he sees is a ragtag bunch of people who've come desperately needing blessing, who've come seeking healing, seeking hope, seeking answers, seeking holiness, seeking comfort, seeking God. They're like sheep desperately in need of a good shepherd. And Jesus, who is sent to be our good shepherd, lays out for them the foundation of the new kingdom, which is not in our perfect adherence to the law, but in the honest acknowledgement of our need for the gospel, for the good news, for the kingdom of God that we clearly cannot reach by our own power to come to us. And here the king of that kingdom sits in front of us. On that mountain, Jesus does not bring the people a new law through which they can achieve blessing. Instead, he speaks blessing. And what unexpected blessings they are because they're not found in the heights of our achievement, but in the lowest places of our need. So remembering who is gathered there to listen, hear what Jesus says. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now, it's quite possible we're too familiar with those words to find them as shocking as they actually are, a completely upside down from what's expected. But as we take a closer look at a few of them, maybe it'll come clear. So first of all, Blessed are the poor in spirit. It's such a mysterious turn of phrase, and it can be a really hard one to translate. Uh, so here is my attempt at that. Blessed are the unawesome ones. <laughs> the ones who know very well how short they fall of the mark, who know they aren't at all what they wish they were. Blessed are they, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. What? <laughs> Why? Why? Doesn't make any sense to the world. Why in the world would the unawesome ones get to have the kingdom? Ask anyone in the world and they'd say the exact opposite. Blessed are the awesome ones, right? The ones who seem to have the magic touch, who do everything right, who seem gifted beyond belief with overwhelming riches of spirit in every area. They're the blessed ones, right? Not in Jesus' kingdom not in eternity. Instead, under this king, 
Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who know they need something other than themselves and who are not too proud to seek it. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Because the humble heart is the one the Lord can approach with the gifts he alone gives. You see, the hard fact is no one gets into this kingdom by deserving it, only by receiving it. There's no one awesome enough to waltz in on their own merits. So who do you think will actually receive a gift that's offered by a powerful benefactor? The proud, whose identity and sense of worth is wrapped up in their own awesome abilities? Or the one who knows all too well their need for help? Which one is in a better eternal position? What Jesus teaches us in verse 6 is very much like this. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Did you notice what Jesus did not say there? (laughs) Jesus does not say, blessed are the righteous. That's what everyone would expect. But Jesus doesn't say that because those people don't exist. (laughs) Ecclesiastes 7 says, there are none who are righteous, not even one. Those who think they are righteous are not the blessed ones. They're the delusional ones. (laughs) And needing to hold on to their status of righteousness, they're the ones who end up living not in love and grace, but in a rigid, desperate fear of losing their grip on that status. No, the ones who are blessed, Jesus says, are the ones who realize they aren't righteous, but really wish they were. Righteousness means in right relationship with God. Jesus says, blessed are those who know, knowing what you lack, you still long for God and the things of God because he's the one who will provide them. Jesus actually teaches a parable about this, comparing a Pharisee bragging to God about how good he is as he walks in righteousness with a tax collector who's crying out to God, confessing his need for God's mercy. And Jesus says, which one went home justified before God? Not the one bragging, the one who asked for God's mercy. Because the truth is, if you think you're already full, you're not going to look for the rich feast of grace that's right in front of you, and so you'll miss the power of the gift. The ones who are blessed in the kingdom of Jesus' grace are those who are hungry for what only God can give, his presence, his forgiveness, his power, his leading, and are poor in spirit enough to know they need him to provide it. Blessed are they, for they will be filled. Jesus looks out over the crowds who came broken and hurting and hungry in spirit, needing hope and health and wholeness, and he says to them, you are the blessed ones, because in grace yours is the kingdom. See, the truth is not everyone who heard and saw what Jesus did in those synagogues came out to hear him. Some of them didn't appreciate Jesus coming in and riling things up. They were perfectly content with what they had already, the scriptures, the promises, the history. God actually showing up threw off their perfect equation. (laughs) The truth is they were not hungry for what the Savior had come to give. And so they refused to taste and see that the Lord is good, even when the bread of life was right there in front of them. So how about you? Are you hungry? Is your heart longing for more? 
In the kingdom of God, blessed are those who know their need, for they will be filled because Jesus does the filling. The Holy Spirit poured out on us, empowers us day by day to follow where Jesus leads us. It's the secret power of this kingdom. Blessed are you when you are found in a place of need because that is where God can find you and lift you up. Or as the Lord tells us in scripture, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Now the world may say that the blessed ones are the arrogant, the selfish, the powerful that the world looks up to for their ruthless savvy, but Christian, you know better. That kind of power is like the flowers that bloom up and fade. They're not of God, and they don't lead to the things of God. But we are of a different kingdom, and we serve a different kind of king who proclaims to us instead, blessed are the poor in spirit, the meek, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, the merciful, the pure in heart. And as we talked about in our grief and remembrance service this past Thursday, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. See, in those places where we are most broken, Jesus' power meets us with hope because in his love, in his mercy, in his purity of heart, he laid down his life on the cross so that even death cannot defeat us or ever separate us from his love ever again in the power of his resurrection in us. We have a good shepherd who comes to lead us and guide us every step of the way. And he calls us to know that strength is ours simply by putting our hand in his and letting him lead. Our God's heart rejoices in the heart that longs for him, even when that heart utterly fails to hit the target of righteousness, because in the grace of Jesus, God has gone and moved the target to us. The kingdom of God has come near. Blessed are you when you know you need a savior because you find you have one. And that's how Jesus approaches people. Teaching from God's heart from the scripture, proclaiming God's arrival for them, and then demonstrating God's heart and blessing and healing and restoring love in action. This is how Jesus draws hearts into righteousness that is his gift to us by speaking blessing to the heart that knows its failings and yet still dares to seek the God it loves. Jesus' love, Jesus' kingdom, messes with our life as usual, turns all our assumptions about what blessing is upside down. And that's why there was this huge influx of tax collectors and sinners hanging around Jesus because it's the humble heart that knows its need that Jesus' grace can work with. So if that's you, wherever you're starting this journey, blessed are you. Such good news. So why is it that centuries later now, when a person meets a Christian, what they assume what they'll encounter is not a blessing, but someone throwing their lack of righteousness in their face? I can personally speak to this, because sometimes being a pastor is the worst. (laughs) Because when someone asks, what do you do? And I tell them I'm a pastor, suddenly it's like I have leprosy. (laughs) People almost physically recoil, and I can see it in their eyes, the immediate fear. Don't judge me. Don't point out my failures. Don't show me just how far I am from what I should be. See, the truth is, people largely don't need someone to tell them where they're broken. They know because they spend all of their energy trying to hide it. 
And that's not what I intend to do, but it's what they assume. And it really makes me wonder, how did the people of the new covenant of the kingdom of Jesus' grace come to be the public symbol of judgment? When did Jesus' people become the Pharisee in Jesus' parable instead of the tax collector? If we're called to be the people of Jesus' in-breaking, upside-down kingdom, what will it take for our lives and our witness to instead imitate Jesus and his approach to people? Let's look again at what Jesus does here. First, he goes to find them where they are. Where are the places in our world today where people are going to look for hope, for help, for healing, for wholeness, grace, and strength? Because unfortunately, it's often not the church. So where are they looking? And can we, like Jesus, go to those places to find people who are seeking hope? Where are those places in your life? Who are those people in your neighborhood, in your family? And once we're there with them, what if, like Jesus, we teach from the foundation of God's word that God sees the needs of people and he wants to meet us in our need with his comfort, his power, his forgiveness, his grace? What would it take to proclaim God sees you, he loves you, he's come near to you? There is a good shepherd who comes to meet you, who values and who will work with the humble heart who knows its need. Because in this kingdom, blessed is the, are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. What would it look like for us to speak that to people where they are today? Because when people encounter Jesus, they want more. Is that the Jesus they see in us? What would it take for us to be people who first speak blessing to the broken so that the power of Jesus' grace can build up true righteousness in the heart, righteousness that comes not from a status of our achievements, but from his saving love? Because only Jesus can create right relationship with God in the human heart. His grace must come first. Only then can our relationship with him grow. Blessed are you when you know your need because that's where God's redeeming power meets you. So does that mess with your life as usual? I sure hope so because that's what Jesus came to do in us, for us, and through us and for the world he came to save. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for who you are, king of a whole new kingdom, We thank you for your grace that reaches out to meet us in our need. Lord, you are the king of holiness. You perfectly fulfill the law, and yet you come and meet us in the brokenness of our valley. That you speak to us the blessing of your righteousness given for us. Lord, we thank you that you are the God who finds us and who lifts us up. And we pray that you would help us, Lord, to uh, be reflections of your heart to the world that needs to know who you are. We pray that you would continue to show us what it means to be your disciples in a world that needs your message of grace and healing and restoration and love. Lord, we pray that you would continue to lead us and guide us until all the world knows who you are. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.